Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. All right, good to see you guys. Got lots of new faces. Hey, if you've never been here before, just a couple things. One, uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Would love to meet you afterwards. You're always welcome to come up, ask questions after the sermon. Uh, number two, if you're also if you're a first-time visitor, be sure to stop by our first-time visitors table and give us your information so we can uh, follow up with you. We would appreciate that. And this morning, we're going to have some fun, right? Why not? Uh, Christ Community Church, making church fun again. Um, I love the sledgehammer. I've always loved sledgehammer. Sledgehammers are actually great exercise, too, by the way. If you can find a truck tire and just go to town on it with a sledgehammer, you can get in really good shape. Well, I was wondering, what happens when a hammer comes down on something a little soft? Something like, say, strawberries. Just as an example, I mean, I don't know. Let's see what happens. Want to? Yep. <laughs> That's what I thought would happen. What about a tomato? Yep. <laughs> I didn't really do that one justice, did I? Ah. There we Hey, yes. I am the strongest man alive. I did that last night, too. I did not think I could do it again. Pound cake? Ah! Yep. Ooh, look at that. That is what happens when a hammer comes down on something soft, right? Something, you think about fruit, you think about vegetables. I mean, what do they do? They sit out in the sun, they're watered, they rest, they grow, right? They're nice and soft. They're made to be nice and soft. But when I used to, when I was growing up, there was a comedian named Gallagher. Anybody remember Gallagher? Remember? Yeah. Have the sledge-o-matic, right? And he'd come out and he'd pound the stuff, including a watermelon, which I thought about doing, but I didn't want to totally destroy the stage. And you know, he would have this, he'd sit there and he'd pound all this fruit, but he had this table that he pounded on. That thing never cracked. I never saw that thing crack. Because it was, it was heavy steel. It was really sturdy, strong stuff. So he'd smash this fruit, but the table was fine. Because metal's strong. It's tough. It's made to withstand those kind of blows, unlike this stuff. What does that have to do with anything? Well, we're talking about uh, speaking the truth under persecution, right? Now, persecution... The way we define persecution and the way the Bible defines persecution is a little different. Persecution is not somebody disagreeing with you on Facebook. Uh, and, and in fact, if somebody disagrees with you on Facebook, let it alone. Let me tell you, I know, I, you know, I don't know what Jesus would do in every situation. I know this. Jesus would not argue with anyone on Facebook. So just don't do it. That's not persecution. Opposition is not persecution. The Bible defines persecution. The Greek word in the New Testament, when the verb is used to talk about persecution, means to squeeze. When your squeeze is coming in from all sides, right? That's persecution. 
the church abroad is suffering serious persecution. If you go to persecution.com, that's the website for Voice of the Martyrs, you go there, you can read. There was a pastor in India just in July. In the middle of the night, members of the Communist Party came to his house, dragged him out of his house, kidnapped him. They found him several days later, beaten, tortured, dead, and a note hung around his neck saying, anyone else preaches the gospel, we will do the same to them. That's persecution. When they say, if you t preach or teach about Jesus Christ, we'll lock you up, we'll kill you, we'll hurt you, that is persecution. We are lucky in this country, are we not, that we have the privilege to come together and, and to worship. And not only that, we still have a First Amendment right under the Constitution to go out into the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can do that at school, no matter what the ACLU says. We can do that at work, no matter what they say. We have the freedom to do that, and we should. That's a great privilege we have. Are we always going to have that freedom? I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. Because one of the things that I've noticed as a political junkie, you know, as I've noticed the secular left start to do something over the last 10 years, I hear them talk about, we're not against your freedom to worship. Now, notice they're not saying freedom of religion. They're saying freedom to worship because what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, as long as you have the freedom to go to a church building and sit there and listen to somebody preach and sing and all that kind of stuff that we do, and you keep it in the four walls of that church, you have freedom. But that is not what we are called to do. If you are a servant of Jesus Christ, you are to be a servant of Jesus Christ everywhere, all the time. And so there's probably going to be more opposition coming as our culture becomes more and more hostile to what's going on. The hammer will come down. And the question is, are you that iron table or are you pound cake? What are you going to be? Now, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I do not want persecution to come. And there's this myth out there. You'll see it on Twitter and Facebook. You'll hear it from people. Ah, persecution is, is good for the church. Separates the men from the boys. The church grows under persecution. Does the church have to be persecuted to grow? No, it doesn't. That's not biblical. In Acts 9.31, it says that when Paul, when he was then Saul, quit persecuting the church, the church enjoyed peace, and the church grew. Three greatest booms in church growth in this country. First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, and then in the late 40s and early 50s, largely thanks to Billy Graham, happened with great religious freedom. I want that to happen. I want us to have that freedom. But in all likelihood, it's going to get worse unless there's another awakening, which I pray for. It's going to get worse. What will happen? Will the gospel become illegal like it is in many ways in Europe and in and Canada? I mean, you can be fined as a preacher from preaching from certain texts in your own church in Canada. Aki Green was a pastor in Europe who was imprisoned for preaching from the book of Romans. Is that headed this way? 
Believe it or not, despite what you hear from all the TV preachers that Jesus wants you to be healthy and wealthy and all this other kind of stuff, Jesus actually said, no, if you follow me, you're going to face persecution. Look at John 15, 18 through 25. Throw it up there for me, Chris. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking about the culture of the world, people who adopt the culture of the world. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. He's talking to us, folks. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. Now, I'll stop there for just a second. You read through the New Testament, a lot of people get this idea that when Jesus is talking about my name, my name, my name, that there's something magical about Jesus' name. Like you can if you use Jesus' name in a certain way, you can be like a graduate of Hogwarts or something. That is not what Jesus is talking about. In the Bible, a person's name was all wrapped up with who that person was, what they were about, what their goals were. So whenever he says my name, he says he's saying my will, my goals, what I want. That's what he's talking about. Throw it back up. So they will treat you this way because of my name, my will, my goals. For they do not know the one who sent me. They do not know God. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus said that if we obey him, we will face opposition and even persecution, even death. In the book of Revelation, he says, you are to stay faithful to me even unto death and I will give you a reward in heaven. We are, have no excuse. Even if we face imprisonment or death, we are never to deny our faith in Jesus Christ. He does not give us that option. He says, he says if we deny him in front of men, he will deny us in front of his father. He says that actually, you go to Matthew, you go to the Sermon on the Mount, he says that when we're persecuted for that, we are actually in divine favor. Now, most of your New Testaments will say, blessed are those, blessed are those. Blessed does not mean that because you do these things, God's going to rain down cash on you. He's going to make it rain. That is not what he's saying. The Greek word makarios often means just to be in divine favor. So blessed means God is happy with what you are doing. And that's all. I guarantee you, there will come a day when making God happy is more important than all the other stuff we spend our time chasing around. Now, again, I don't want this to happen. I do not want the day to come where if I have to preach the Bible faithfully, I could risk jail. I don't want to go to jail. I'm too cute for jail. I may be a five on the outside, but in prison, I'm like a nine. <laughs> I do not want Paula to send out on the prayer chain, Pastor Matt is in prison, he covets your prayers, and soap on a rope. <laughs> but if it comes to that, it comes to that, because if I deny Jesus, he will deny me. And after what he has done for me died on the cross for me, for 
you. Lived a perfect life to give to you. How could you ever deny it? And that day may come. Now, I, I want to take a just sideways here for a second to talk about something. Now, when it comes, you, if you go to Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is basically Jesus' guide for living as a disciple in a fallen world and in a world where the world can persecute you. Many people misunderstand the Sermon on the Mount. They think that when Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, they think what he is saying is to his people, be a doormat. That's not what he's saying. He is saying to stand up without striking back. You are still to take a stand, a strong stand. Now, one of the things that always gets kind of mucked up is this. Turn the other cheek. He said to turn the other cheek. Does that mean that you just get smacked around? No, that's not what he says to do. So you got to understand a little culture here. A theologian by the name of Walter Wink taught me this. It's fascinating. Here's what Jesus was saying. Now, Jesus was speaking in the Middle East, in the ancient Middle East. And in fact, many parts of the Middle East today, they have very strict rules about how you use your hands. Okay? Right hand is what you do business with. This hand is what you shake. They don't like to shake. They like to kiss. Thank God I'm an American. Um, they shake, whatever. You, you, you count money. You do, you do this with your right hand. Your left hand, you do not use for anything but one thing. Guess what it is? It's what you use to use this stuff. Which, by the way, just a question. Why are there so many toilet paper commercials out there? Is someone not buying this? It just kind of sells itself, doesn't it? But because you use your left hand to go to the bathroom and your right hand for business, so this is what he's saying to do. You never, ever struck in with your left hand. You always used your right. And there's also another rule. If you strike someone like this, you are certainly hitting them, but you're treating them as an equal. You only hit equals like this. If you backhand them, you're saying you're below me. You would backhand a slave, for example. Now, if somebody backhands you and then you turn the other cheek, how is it the only way they can strike you now? Then they have to treat you as an equal. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? Brilliant. Brilliant. He is teaching us ways to resist without striking back. For example, he says that if they ask you for your shirt, you should go ahead and give them, your, give them the rest of your clothes. Nudity was considered incredibly humiliating in the ancient world. What's he saying? They tell you, give me your coat. Say, okay, take off your pants too. Here, take it off. They're not going to ask again after that, are they? He is teaching us how to resist a hostile world without reacting in the same way. And unfortunately, most Christians don't get this. The guy who first really got this and put it into action was actually a Hindu lawyer named Gandhi. What happened is that Gandhi first, when he got to India, and then he also worked in, in South Africa, what the British government was doing there is they were treating Hindu and Muslims as second-class citizens. They had to be fingerprinted like criminals. They had to have, they could have no wedding unless it was performed by the Church of England. 
any soldier could enter Hindu or Muslim dwelling at any time without knocking, just walk right in. And this stirred up a hornet's nest, and they started screaming, and Gandhi held a, held a, held a protest. He was holding a rally. He got all the leaders of the communities together, and they were in this theater. The British government was there watching to see what he was doing. And they stand up, and he, he tells them what's in the law, and the people start screaming, let's kill him, let's go get him. We kill a couple of officers, and I'll put a stop to that. Here's how he responded. Roll it. There is no cause for which I am prepared to kill. Whatever they do to us, we will attack no one, kill no one, but we will not give our fingerprints, not one of us. They will imprison us, they will fine us, they will seize our possessions, but they cannot take away our self-respect if we do not give it to them. Have you been to prison? They beat us and torture us. I say they beat us. I am asking you to fight. To fight against their anger, not to provoke it. We will not strike a blow, but we will receive them. And through our pain, we will make them see their injustice. And it will hurt, as all fighting hurts. But we cannot lose. We cannot. They may torture my body, break my bones, even kill me. Then they will have my dead body, not my obedience. He changed two nations, really, India especially. And the British government eventually just gave up and went home, all because he stood in a way that Jesus actually taught him. It's a shame he never became a Christian. He loved the Bible. He loved Jesus. He liked to say, I like your Jesus. I just don't like your Christians. This is important. For what is to come, we have to prepare ourselves. The Bible is very clear. If persecution comes, if that squeezing comes, we are to speak the truth. We are never to back down, and we are to pray for those who persecute us, which will not be easy. Most of us are not prepared for that. I'm not prepared for that. You have to prepare yourself. It's like training for anything else. Now, I mean, I hate cardio. Hate, 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 hate cardio. I love the gym. I hate cardio. I hate running. If, I'm, if you see me outside running, something's chasing me. You should turn and go the other way. And, but I run, you know, I do it a couple times a week, and I get on the treadmill for a half an hour. Now, I run two and a half, three and a half miles. What happens if I try to go run the Boston Marathon? 20-odd miles. You know what's going to happen? About five miles, maybe six miles. The pizza bread I had at Mexitali last night ended up on the sidewalk. That's what's happening. You cannot just jump into this. You have to prepare. It's like anything else. Anything worth doing. Now, 
you know, I announced I'm, I'm getting studying to be a personal uh, fitness trainer. I'll, I'm only going to train men over 40. I didn't hit the gym until I was 42 when I got in shape. I'm going to train men over 40. Uh, I'm going to train them for free if they come to church. I'll train them for about six sessions. That's all it really takes to teach you the basics of some stuff. And one of the things that gets people is that they work out for like two days. They go in the mirror and go, I don't look any different. Well, duh. It takes time. It's a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. But if you keep doing it five, six days a week, four weeks, six weeks, you'll notice. I dropped 70 pounds in a year. But if I quit after those first couple weeks and I didn't see any change, I'd still be a fatty. It takes work. This is no different. Yes, God is very clear that he will never leave us or forsake us. Yes, the Holy Spirit will help us to, say, to know what to say. But you have to get tough. And in this, the way you do it, little every day, is you have to study Scripture. You have to pray. You have to worship. When we come in here, we're not just singing songs. We are singing praise to God on his throne. You need to do that. We spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with ourselves, so we naturally think we're the most important thing in the world. We're not. God is. And when we sing praise to him, we're recognizing that. You are God, I am not. And that's what we have to do. And you need to give you need to share the gospel with others, and you need to give. You need to learn. Dad has said this from, from up here. You need to learn to live on 80% of your income. 10% savings, 10% in giving. You're just supposed to. You just should. And it helps you. It discipline. And it's what we need to do. Because when it comes to this, let me quote one of my favorite poets, Rocky Balboa. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. In the coming fight to come, it's going to be how tough you are, how many blows you can take, and keep moving forward. That's what it's all about. And so you have to start training. Just like you go to the gym, you need to crack that Bible open, you need to study, you need to pray. You need to show up here on time and not just for the donuts. Hate to tell you, if you train with me, no donuts. Don't look at me that way. No donuts, okay? I've tried to find a zero-calorie, 40-gram protein donut. It don't exist, all right? But you're going to have to train. If I'd ask you who the best basketball player in the world is, I'd probably get two or three different answers right now. Some would say LeBron James, especially because we're in Ohio. An Ohio boy just defended the UFC Heavyweight Championship last night, first-round knockout. Um, but some of you would say Steph Curry. Do you know what Steph Curry is doing right now? I mean, hopefully he's in church because he's a Christian, but he's in Charlotte. He goes down there to train with somebody during the off-season. And I was looking at his training regimen. It's insane. I mean, what he goes through to be Steph Curry is incredible. 
Not only is he running the floor and ankle weights and all other kind of stuff, and not only is he shooting three-pointers while they try to distract him any way they can, even blowing air horns in his ear and all that kind of stuff while he's trying to hit three-pointers. They do stuff like this. He's actually, he'll be doing dribbling drills. He'll be going down the court drilling, and they'll start throwing balls at him. He'll have to catch the ball with his other hand while he's doing dribbles. Sometimes a tennis ball. He's just, he's running the court, going in and out of chairs, dribbling, catching a tennis ball and throwing it back at the same time. That's insane. But that's how, that's why he's Steph Curry. He doesn't just wake up, have a hot pocket, go to the arena and just score 40 points. He works his tail off. Now, if he's willing to do that for a game, how much more should you be willing to do for a king who died in your place? If it comes, and it probably will, the book of Revelation is going to become much more relevant. And I, I'm not going to get into the, all the weird theories about how you interpret the book of Revelation, but here's one thing that's clear. If you just read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus tells the churches, they're coming for you. Do not deny me. They're going to put you in prison. They may kill you. Don't deny me. And I'll give you your reward in heaven. We have no out here. We have to stand. And if you prepare yourself, you can do it. Let me introduce you to a guy named Richard Wormbram. Show a picture of Richard, would you? Some of you may have raised, uh, read his book, Tortured for Christ. He's the one who founded Voice of the Martyrs. He was a Romanian Christian, and he refused to kowtow to the communist government. So they threw him in prison. He spent years in prison. They tortured him in prison. They cracked his vertebrae in prison. He refused to back down. In fact, he began to evangelize other prisoners. When they found out that another person he had brought to Christ, they were going to release him. They threw him back in jail because he was a Christian. Richard Wormbrand said, looked at him and said, I'm so sorry. He said, why are you apologizing? You've given me the greatest gift ever. And when you read about these people, these people are no different from you and I. They don't have superhuman strength. They don't go around performing miracles. They don't do any of that. They just found that, especially in times of persecution, the irony of persecution is that when they were thrown in jail, when they were isolated, all they had was their Bible and prayer. And they grew stronger and stronger and stronger. You need to be that strong now. I need to be that strong now. So you have to crack open your Bible. You have to pray every day. You have to get here on time, sing praise to God. You need to do these things. You need to give. You need to invite people to church. This is what we are called to do by the king of the universe. I have been lobbying Bible translators for years. Quit using the word Lord Jesus. When I think Lord, I think of some British guy or Darth Vader. The term that should be, the Greek that should be translated there is not Lord, it should be king. Jesus is king. He will return. He will reign over the earth. This is his. 
This is all his. You own nothing. I own nothing. We're just renting. He owns it all. And when the king of the universe, especially a king who died in your place for your sins, gives you a command, when Jesus tells you to jump, you don't ask how high. You jump as high as you can. We need to be doing this every day. Every single day. I'm going to wrap up with this. Richard Rohrenbrand said, Friendship with Jesus is costly. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by great sacrifices for Christ's sake. This costs. It's easy to sell a Christianity where you just get what you want. God gives you all this stuff. This costs. It costs Jesus greatly on the cross. It should cost you every single day. I am asking you to fight, and I am telling you that when the hammer comes down, are you going to be the metal table? Or are you going to be the soft little vegetable? What's it going to be? Which one do you want to be? It hurts. It's going to hurt. When I help people in the gym, they come back and say, ah, should I be, I hurt. Yep, that's normal. Muscles don't grow if, you don't, if they don't hurt. This will hurt. You will face opposition. People will talk about you. People will talk badly about you on Facebook. Get over it. I, I can't believe I see grown men get all bent out of shape because somebody said something bad about Facebook. It's like, goodness sakes, you are a wuss. Who cares? We have this generation now. You say something bad on social media about somebody, next thing you know, the guy's curl up in the, curled up in the fetal position in the corner sucking his thumb. We need to get tough. We need to get tough, and we need to be ready. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, dying for us, living for us, making us, coming back for us. In return, because this lifetime, as my mom likes to say, is the shortest part of eternity. May we use it to serve you well. May we never deny you. May we speak your truth gracefully. We don't need to be jerks. Speak your truth. Lead others to a saving relationship with you, even if it costs us everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, a couple of things before we go. I got a couple of announcements. One is this. Um, Andrew and Rachel asked me if you can help make snacks for the kids. They're starting XPG again in the evening, and so there's a sign-up sheet up there. If you're willing to make some snacks to help feed our youth group, we would appreciate that. Uh, number two, we have a bunch of kids here this morning from Kentucky Christian University. They're going to be, uh, I'm going to be meeting with them afterwards, um, and we're going to be feeding them some pizza probably in the student center or maybe back in one of the classrooms, just depending on how many we got. And so we're going to have to usher them back there and get this going because we got some stuff to go over with them. Uh, number three, again, sign up for the golf scramble. The God's Guns and Grubs is full. Uh, we're going to be shooting uh, 8 to uh, 11 out at Ed Anderson's place where pistol shooting, chime, rabbits, traps, archery, fishing, and um, the, we'll have some range officers there. The range officers will decide who the best shot is, who has the biggest fish, all kind of stuff, and the winners will get a $25 gift certificate to B-dubs. That was donated by the Schmidt family. Thank them for that, but that is now full. And then we're going to be having an attack dog demonstration, and then we're going to eat some bison burger. Nothing like watching somebody be a chew toy while we chew on some 
dead animal ourselves. Isn't that fantastic? Um, so uh, all that stuff is coming up, and be sure to be inviting people next week, anniversary Sunday, our anniversary weekend. Uh, be sure to try to get your names and all that. Put that in the, if they haven't collected it, put in the offering. You want to be inviting people to that. That's one. Two, remember, Frank Turek will be here on the weekend of October 1st, the author of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. He'll be doing his presentation, and then afterwards, what we'll probably do is take him over there in the student center, and if people want to ask questions, they can go ask questions. Whew, there's a lot going on. All right. God bless you. God goes with you. Be sure to be uh, uh, generous and less fortunate as you go.